oh my god it was 103 degrees and we were cooking but we were in this zombie bunker in a desert and we were setting up wireless and it was apocalyptic and it was cool and and they catered it it was crazy welcome to episode 466 of the community broadband bits podcast this is rye marcatilio mccracken here at the institute for local self-reliance today christopher is joined by two people to talk about a project ILSR is involved with called the Tribal Wireless Bootcamp, a three-day experience which aims to support skills training and the sharing of knowledge for tribes that are at differing stages of deploying networks from the recently dispersed 2.5 gigahertz spectrum license by the FCC and who are also seeking funding to build sustainable, resilient networks back in their communities. This first iteration of the Tribal Wireless Bootcamp ran just a week ago. Matthew Rantanen, Director of Technology for Southern California Tribal Chairman's Association, helped organize and guide the effort, also opening up his home in Southern California to make it work. Joining us also is Marin Maclis, ILSR Senior Researcher and Multimedia Producer, who captured video of the effort and collected interviews from those who came together to participate. Chris, Matt, and Marin talk about the boot camp's goal of filling in a missing link in community broadband by providing a hands-on experience, but equally importantly, of bringing people together to talk and learn from one another and build new skills. To do so, the group built a fixed wireless network and then using the tools they learned on site, figured out how to get the gremlins out and get it working again. Matt and Marin share their experiences in seeing people exchange lessons learned and ideas for the future too, including everything from learning how to talk about the value of broadband to convince local leaders to embark on a wireless project, troubleshooting, and what digital sovereignty means for tribes now and in the future. Now here's Christopher talking with Matt and Marin. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. It's good to be back. From This is Christopher Mitchell from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, slowly remembering how to do these sorts of things. But I'm back with a veteran crew, and I'm excited to talk today about something that uh, I helped out with, the Tribal Wireless Boot Camp. We're going to be talking with Matt Rantanen, uh, former guest and director of technology for Southern California Tribal Chairman's Association. Welcome back, Matt. Thanks for having me, Chris. I know you got a bunch of other titles, but I also know that you did this basically in your spare time, um, in your own capacity as someone who just cares about this issue. So uh, we'll just leave it at um, that one title today. Cool. And we also have Marin Maclis, who is on my team at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Uh, she is senior editor and multimedia producer. Welcome to the show again, Marin. Hello. Thank you for having me. So you got to um, come along and uh, and basically have the Herculean task of trying to document a lot of things that were going on pretty haphazardly without um, without a very rigorous schedule, I would say, where things could just start happening at any minute. Um, glad that you've recovered. <laughs> that is an, that's a very uh, accurate description of how of how the weekend went. But it was fun. It was cool to to just be able to be there and be a fly on the wall. So thank you for, for letting me join. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Matt, why don't we just jump right in and, and explain what we did last week? Um, what's the, what's the context first of all, like what's going on in Indian country that, that we thought getting people together to, to build wireless skills would be useful. Well, there's a couple of major events that are happening right now simultaneously. 
little just a little under 400 tribes have received their 2.5 gigahertz uh, tribal priority um, spectrum license from the Federal Communications Commission. And um, they're about six to eight months into the process of, of deploying that to meet their first uh, two-year requirement to keep the license and, uh, and for that fulfillment. So there's, there's that dynamic of people trying to get um, you know, their head around the, the 2.5 gigahertz space and the new equipment that they have to integrate into their existing systems, or if they're starting from scratch, uh, step into that realm with, uh, with new product. And then there is, um, somebody described it as a tsunami of funding hmm. happening in Indian country, which, um, which means there's uh, a whole bunch at the same time. And, you know, good luck um, on capturing what you need and where you need it. So it was an opportunity to get, you know, people around the technology and to get people in conversation about those funding opportunities and, and the general environment of what's happening for tribes right now. Yeah, so we we invited some folks down to Rantanen Town or Rantanen Ranch. It's, it's Rantanen Town, I guess, right? Yeah, Rantanen Town. I think the wife calls it uh, Rancho Too Far to Drive. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we made that drive multiple times <laughs> because there's not a lot of lodging in the nearby area. But it's a wonderful place to to do some work. So just uh, give us a short description of where we were. So we were in uh, Southern California, just north of the San Diego uh, county border uh, in southern Riverside County. Uh, we're actually 12 miles due north of the Palomar Observatory. You know, high desert, 2,300 feet in elevation, only 45 minutes to the beach. You know, an interesting climate. It was very toasty. Uh, you know, we hit 103 a couple days in a row, so we definitely tested people's ability to be outside when it was hot. They're predicting today and tomorrow potential 127 in the deserts near me. So I don't know. I'm really glad we didn't change the weekend to not be on July 4th weekend. Oh <laughs> yeah, nice. they're they're calling for emergency preparedness at the moment. So yeah, it's kind of nuts. Uh, but it's a you know it's a beautiful landscape. It's tough terrain for for running fiber and such, but it it works really well for wireless. So it was a good. Um, you know, a good testing ground for folks to be able to set things up and, and learn in that space. So I want to, I want to bring you into it, Marin. Um, what kind of expectations did you have um, going into this event? I mean, I, I feel like to some extent I was sort of like, Hey, we're going to do this thing. That's that I'm not going to really explain that well to you. Cause we're moving pretty fast here. Uh, but I'd really like you to come down and help us to record it and, um, and then to publicize it afterwards. So what did you have in your mind that you're heading into? Oh man, that's a great question. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I definitely, I, there was a bit of a black hole in my head about what the weekend would, would end up being like, but um, I think, you know, I was just really excited to kind of hear the stories of of different tribes and kind of what their experience has been like trying to build their own networks, uh, you know, where they were in the process. And um, I was just, I honestly, <laughs> I, I had no expectations because I didn't really know what was going, what was going to happen. Um, but yeah, I was just really excited to meet people and, and talk with folks um, and, and hopefully learn a little something um, about broadband. I just joined your team a couple of months ago, so I'm trying to be as much of a sponge as possible and learn as much as I can, um, especially, you know, most of the, the coverage that we do is um, on fiber. And, you know, this wasn't really focused necessarily on fiber um, because of the of the license. So 
it was cool to just kind of learn more about how like configuration works. And I don't know, I was just, I was excited to be there. So I, I want to go back in time now to, I feel like maybe two months ago, it was about that time. I mean, it's, it's not that long ago that we'd been talking about what we can do. Um, I, I've been inspired ever since I attended the Internet Society's Indigenous Connectivity Summit in Waimanalo, where uh, I really was uh, awakened to the fact that like if you put crimpers in people's hands and teach them how to make ethernet cables they actually just feel empowered and they're they feel like they can conquer the world maybe and if we're able to get some um some technology in their hands they can learn to build these networks operate themselves maintain them and in fact i mean if we actually just want to perhaps spend a second there um you know one of the people who attended this is is uh, john garcia who's been maintaining that network and it's been working out pretty well in Waimanalo. And we talked about this actually in an episode while we were there um, with uh, Brandon Maka Ava Ava. Um, and, uh, and so Matt, um, just tell us a little bit about, um, about what we were um, intending to accomplish when we set out to, to bring folks together. I think there's a missing link in, uh, in the space around community broadband uh, in Indian country, and that is gathering, right? That is getting people together to talk with each other about their successes and their and their failures and their you know the general opportunities. And we've we've had that void uh, for quite some time. We have pockets of places where some of us get together, like the National Congress of American Indians. A bunch of us are going to get together at, at the Reservation Economic Summit in in uh, Las Vegas in a couple of weeks. And, you know, there's not everybody in one place and it's not all about, you know, broadband and all this community uh, connectivity stuff. It's always spread out around other other items as well. So we really need to focus where we can get these clusters of, of communities that can rely on each other and, and have conversations and, and just get exposure and work together. And I think it, it makes it feel like you're not operating in a vacuum, right? You actually have peers in this space that you can feel comfortable that other people are struggling through some of the same things you're struggling through. And um, I don't know, it's just a sense of community beyond your, you know, specific reservation. And I think we created that, um, you know, I've been in this space for 20 years and we, we created that with the international community wireless summits with Sasha, Sasha Meinrath and, and crew uh, that had, I don't know, eight or nine different meetings uh, globally. And so there was a sort of an international space around wireless, but it wasn't indigenous. So then we have the indigenous connectivity summits, which have really kind of brought that same kind of focus to the indigenous crew and of um, North America specifically, Canada, yeah, of North States. America specifically, but, um, you know, through internet governance forum and through some of the ICANN meetings that spreads out to the indigenous populations globally. Um, you know, and, and ISOC has been a, a very good um, aggregator of folks um, to get them in the same space. And I think this is a natural progression of maybe what, what ISOC was thinking when they did Indigenous Connectivity Summit, what, that there would be pockets of us working together in Indian country to do some of the same types of things and get that same type of, of sense of community going so that there's, you have somebody to fall back on, you have somebody to lean on. I always say, we I can show you 50 ways how not to build a wireless network. Uh, so don't waste your time, learn my 50 ways so that you don't have to. Um, it's really a sense of, of uh, resources and just people network. Yeah, I think that was one of the reasons that I was 
enthusiastic about this and in having conversations with Spencer Sevilla, who along with Esther Jang were uh, the instructors that we really relied upon to, um, to get people up to speed and help them answer their questions and go out and, and build a network. Um, was this, was this sense of, we don't need people to go off to a trade school for two years, right? We need people to like spend um, a weekend um, to do some virtual trainings before then, and then to just commit to doing their own research and learning how one, whether you're in Linux, whether you're doing this community space, you know, it's sort of your goal, I think, is to like do enough research where you're able to like find that community of experts, walk in show some respect so that they will accept you and be willing to invest in you and help you. And then, and that's how you solve most of these problems. Um, it really is about asking people who know and sort of cracking the code of how you go about asking them without being insulting or, or appearing to not have done your own research and things like that. And I, I don't know, I, I don't, Maren, do you feel like that, that you sort of saw that, that kind of thing happening over the course of the weekend? Cause I felt like I did. Yeah. I mean, I think, the thing that really stuck with me or that resonated with me um, throughout the weekend was, you know, there were, there were people that were coming in at different levels. So like some people had already started building and were connecting people and other people were just trying to figure stuff out. And um, I feel like Spencer and Esther and, you know, everyone kind of made an environment where if you wanted to learn, if you were enthusiastic, if you were listening, like they wanted to give you answers, they wanted to help you kind of figure things out. And they were there, they're, they're there, not just that weekend, but, you know, for a while, um, kind of like Matt was talking about, like creating this, this infrastructure of support um, for people. And um, that was definitely something that I felt there strongly. It was like, there were no dumb questions, um, as long as you're coming at it trying to learn genuinely everyone was super excited to help Matt, i felt like the night before um i don't know if it was the night before it was the week their last virtual training we did which was the day before i flew out i guess and because and i went out a little early um where i i really felt like it was coming together where the way that we hoped it would in that it wasn't like spencer and, and esther were coming in and they were like we know everything and we're going to teach you you know, um, when when Jessica um, spoke up about challenges they were having with a vendor and Spencer was immediately just like, oh, man, I want to talk to you. Like, I want to learn about what you're going through. And in that kind of the sense that everyone was bringing something to the table was was what I was hoping for. Yeah. No matter what your experience level in this space, there's always some new story and some new avenue that you haven't you haven't heard of yet because you may have had a really successful time with a product or with a frequency and you know, geography makes a difference, uh, climate makes a difference, all of these things. So you might have been working in this space for quite some time and never had these same issues. And then, you know, somebody from a different region that has, you know, more moisture in the air or different type of, of foliage, trees, pine needles, whatever, comes in and goes, oh, this is horrible, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, wow, you know, you can expand your horizons and understand the scope of things. And I, and I just wanted to circle back a little bit on, on putting things together. I think um, we were very lucky in the fact that when we were planning things, we we obviously aligned Spencer as a trainer, but I think we got extra disco bonus points when Esther showed up and we we supported Esther to come. And I think, I don't know that we knew we were going to get as much support from Esther as we did and, you know, really carried half the load. So I I just love that team of people that are just willing to dive in and you know, take charge and lead. And John Garcia too led a couple of sessions, you know, and, and he's, 
he's one ICS old <laughs> in this space <laughs> and, uh, and, and a year of COVID. So I, I think it's, it's really great that we're seeing these people start to grow up um, in this, in this space. The, I guess the next thing um, we need to look at the progression of, okay, people have put together networks in an ad hoc fashion where it's just spreading things around, but what's the next level? Like what, what step can we take now to maybe convert our, our thought process around this training space and include um, things about like managing an ISP and, and actually routing and managing traffic, not just sharing a signal around, but actually, you know, creating a network that is a little bit more corporate or, or, um, lack of a better word, um, you know, carrier grade, if you will. Yes. And I, I, I saw some enthusiasm for that, uh, along the way, I think it may be useful to talk a little bit about what we did. And, you know, part of this was sitting around a, a TV screen hooked up to a laptop and seeing how you configure different fields and understanding some of the, the reason why that works, which actually led into a, a short conversation about how the internet actually works and how network address translation or NAT works. And, and it was interesting because we had a combination of people who came who were, you know, the tower climbers and the workers who were out just like, you know, that are doing those configurations. We also had several people who were in, in, in more of an administrative role. And I never really considered that, that this would be as useful for them, but they loved it because I felt like before they were working in this area where they, they had fragments and, you know, sort of like a room where they had flashlights and it was very dark. And I felt like the work that uh, people did over the course of those three days really turned on the lights and they felt like they were more comf comfortable with how everything fit together. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting if you have uh, an administrative director of, of an effort like this, how much they get disconnected from the actual like timeline of building and creating. And, um, you know, I, I make a joke that I've turned into a glorified check writer um, over time. And, and less and less in the in the space of actually building because of the needs of the operations of business. So when they get tied up in the business side of things, they they tend to not understand or not remember some of those components that it takes to put things together. And I think what we heard a, a couple of times from multiple angles was, wow, I'm really not going to lean on my taxes hard about this not being done in a two hour window because holy cow, that's a lot of work. And I realize now, you know, a half a day is probably more appropriate for that type of a, an engagement. Getting them hands-on and understanding just the process of, of aiming an antenna and setting up a link and how much communication from side to side needs to happen and how much coordination needs to happen and how many tools are involved and, you know, just what the effort is, I think really helps you uh, from a management perspective understand what it takes to build a network. One of the things that I really enjoyed was introducing gremlins into the network and, and giving them um, also a sense watching as as uh, Spencer and Esther and, and uh, sometimes Dustin or others um, would have um, just explained common gotcha problems when they're out there. Because we did some of that configuration works in the shade of your workshop, but then we also spent a lot of time with umbrellas and direct sun that was quite toasty um, out. Um, clamping devices to um, exterior buildings, to the exterior sides of buildings, um, and then pointing the radios, like you said. Uh, we did both point-to-point -point and multi-point work. And Marin, I'm just, I'm curious, you were following folks around and throwing a camera in their face, but um, it seemed like there was a lot of valuable learning out in the field as they were um, chatting about like what to do, what not to do uh, in doing these installations. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it, it was interesting. I mean, even personally, because like I said, I, I'm not as familiar with, with a lot of the stuff. I'm still trying to learn it. And it was interesting to, to realize that there is so much troubleshooting that goes on when you're trying to configure a network. Like I think you made the joke and I think a few other people made the joke that it's like, ma'am, have you, you know, unplugged and like replugged in your, <laughs> your router? You know, that's like the most that I think a lot of people, um, you know, that's, that's what people think is the majority of, of how you can fix, you know, internet issues. Um, but hearing Esther and Spencer both kind of, you know, probing the group to to come up with ways to to solve some of the the problems was really interesting. And then like listening to them bounce off of each other and like eventually come to a solution um and and see it work and and have them be excited about it. It, it was cool to watch for sure. I think one of the things uh dovetailing off of what, what Marin just said is when we sabotage the network, where when you sabotage the network, Chris, <laughs> and uh enforced an outage um just how long it took people to realize that it wasn't there because we were engaged in another session where people were actually so focused on the session, they weren't checking the internet. And that was impressive to me because I, you know, for me, I would have noticed immediately because I was streaming content on my phone. Um, <clears throat> I might've been watching soccer games, but uh, so I, I think uh, it was interesting that the whole group was actually focused on the session and not looking at the internet and engaged. And as soon as that pause happened, it was immediate that the internet was out because they took a break and then they looked and they saw that that internet was out. And as everybody was theoretically going through their head about what could be fixed and such, one of the, I would say, you know, less technical at the moment, but, but advancing rapidly persons jumped out of the building and ran up and checked connections. The like physical connection. Cause I had just, I pulled the, I pulled the band, I pulled the, uh, the backhaul um, ethernet cord. So all the equipment looked like it was performing, right? It was performing, right? It just didn't have an upstream connection anymore. Right. And, and that was one of the first thing that was checked by somebody that was, I would say, you know, on the, on the lower end of the scale of technical knowledge, or at least, at least network, like, you know, configuration knowledge, obviously rapidly advancing in troubleshooting and, ran up the hill and checked the cable and caught it almost immediately. Yeah. And I had to, I had to ask him to break it again because we wanted people to go through the exercise of the troubleshooting. It was pretty impressive. I thought, I mean, I, I don't know that I would have done that immediately either. I think we would have theorized about like, Hmm, what is going on? Yeah. So people are aware. I mean, it's not just like, Oh, I'll just like wander over this way. It was, it's a hundred degrees outside. I'm going to walk up this big hill and then a set of stairs in order to check this thing. Um, it was, you know, it was a, a bit of work. And when you would have no reason to think that anything had gone wrong because everyone was in the room together, except for, you know, a gremlin that snuck out. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was, uh, that was good. I, in the future, I think we'd like to have more of those kinds of scenarios of and breaking people into teams to do different kinds of troubleshooting. Uh, but it was a validation uh, that we don't just want to have people learn how to build a network because in many cases you build a network and then you forget those skills. You know, like um, uh, some of the configuration stuff, you get it right and then you leave it. Although another interesting thing was people sharing different tools that they use in order to maintain their configurations. Um, but we want to make sure people actually have the skills of when things go wrong, what do you do? And uh, that was um, interesting to see that that working out. Absolutely. I, I was amazed at how many people had tools I'd never heard of. And, you know, I've been in this space for 20 years. You know, and I would imagine as I look at Tribal Digital Village Network and 
if I sat down with some of my techs there, they would probably have a, a tool set that I don't even see anymore because of, you know, just where I'm at in the space. And uh, it's impressive how many um, workarounds and how much sharing happened. So I, I can't tell you how many times I looked around the room and there was a, a one-on-one or one-on-two conversation where somebody was sharing a way that they had found success in dealing with a problem. And then it was received by the other, the other side of the conversation. And then it was also, um, you know, a return of, well, this is what I've done and this seems to work for this aspect, but no, that's a really good solution. And so there was all this, you know, development of, of tool sets and, and, you know, just, just an exchange, uh, I think is what we're looking for as a result as an actual exchange of information and, and uh, resources with each other and, and a continued environment where that can happen. That even happened the first, I don't know, like hour that people arrived, like we all went to dinner when everyone kind of was like filing in and, and, you know, these two tribes that had, that were basically neighbors, you know, found each other and and started troubleshooting things over dinner, like immediately. They were like, should we go home now? Like we, we solved such a major issue within the first hour. You know, it just like already was like very apparent how positive the the boot camp was going to be um, just in allowing people to literally just be able to talk to each other. And I enjoyed hearing more of the stories about why for them sovereignty over the network was important because you know, I, I know in general different stories about different communities, some of them tribal, many of them otherwise, where they've been let down, ignored, um, poorly served by the, the bigger companies. But hearing these stories and, and what they have to go through was a reminder of just how serious this is and how they have learned through painful experiences that they, they cannot trust a big corporation like Frontier. Um, you know, I mean, like, and I might say that and a lot of people might be like, well, yeah, um, but uh, it's also true of like Charter, Spectrum. Um, you know, when they've relied on these companies, these companies are predators and they look at them, you know, like they're raw meat. And um, these, and so they, the, the tribes that, that we had to attend, uh, you know, it wasn't like I had to be there indoctrinating them into the idea that they should be more self-reliant. <laughs> like they know that they, they're excited to figure out how to do it. And, um, and they had all kinds of experiences that, that helped me better understand, um, you know, what's, what's relevant in this space. One of the things that, that happens in Indian country is we've been left without the services for so long where, you know, those services are supposed to be provided uh, those resources are supposed to be provided uh, through meth- mechanisms through the federal government. We've seen so many subsidies go to incumbent carriers that are supposed to serve our area and so many excuses why they couldn't complete that build or didn't want to complete that build. And so, you know, we've, we've been trapped on these these islands within within the U.S. without without access to this. So once you step into the realm of I am going to make a difference and build this ourselves, we're going to take on this project, you know, it, it takes on a life of its own. And then as it starts to develop and as people actually start to get connectivity, then, you know, people start relying on it and it, you know, it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more important and more realization happens throughout the community of, of how important it is to make sure that this now doesn't shut off, that it is a, you know, a service that is, is reliable, that it is a service that has uh, capacity for, you know, for people to be able to use it at the, at what it's supposed to be used as at the broad broadband level. And um, I think, you know, we realized that, 
you know, we can't drop the ball now. This is, we own this. We can't drop the ball. We have to, we have to move forward with this and uh, we have to protect it. And so there, the sovereignty steps in, in protecting that opportunity. And, and it's interesting because in some situations where tribes have built out networks, it's gotten enough, inf- you know, interest level peaked from surrounding incumbents to say, oh, well, we didn't realize that you needed this service or wanted this service, but, you know, we could now step in and kind of help take over and, and do things. And, and it's, and like you said, predatory, right? So they're looking at a, a bottom line, an ROI, and didn't really realize that, oh, well, if I did X in this community, I could have tapped into these thousand homes and, and connected them to our, our system when we've been asking them to do that for decades. And it took a tribe to maybe connect the middle mile piece onto the reservation, which takes a barrier to, to entry away for an incumbent to make money on a project where they wouldn't do an investment to do that up front. So we've done the investment. Now you're not taking that away from us. Now we own this. Or <laughs> the federal government has finally appropriated money that we have access to. We are not just going to write a check to sign it over to you. Yeah, that's right. It's actually, and this is the first time I think we're seeing the money flow through the tribe rather than some intermediary that's managing, you know, the entities involved in a build. This is actually the first time I think we're seeing it flow through the tribe in capacity to the point where we can actually build infrastructure and support our systems from it. So this, you know, it's a great foundational step in in this timeline. Something I took away is that this isn't going to be easy though. I mean, this isn't like, all right, we've solved the problem. We've got money to the tribes. Uh, They have significant challenges in building up the skills that they'll need uh, in order to, to build this and and operate it over time. Um, And, and that was something that I thought, worked far better than I, than I expected. I wasn't really sure how we were going to integrate in um, Danny Peralta, who came to us from the Bronx, where he's worked on a digital steward project uh, with, uh, with Hunts Point. And, and he ended up stealing the show, I felt like. I mean, like there was no point at this in which people were um, kind of wandering away, uh, even though they were um, uncomfortably hot and, and constantly having to like get up to drink more water to like get it out of the coolers. People were people were interested, but they hung on on Danny's every word. And I, I know that because I was too. Uh, it was remarkable as he talked about the strategies they've used, and people saw um, just the similarities between um, a community that has been left behind and disenfranchised in New York City, um, and how that was um, forced them to develop tools that are useful to folks that are in um, in these tribal areas. One of the dynamics that happens when you get focused on building a network, and this has happened at the Tribal Digital Village Network in Southern California, is that we're so focused on connectivity that we forget that the content that's local needs to be a part of that equation. So we're like, get them the internet, get them the internet, get them the internet. The killer app is the internet. So when they get access to the internet, all will be good. Well, when you get get everybody access to the internet, the whole community gets connected to the internet. They do all the things that, that any normal person would do on, on the internet. But the whole point of the tribal digital village and some of these tribal communities getting access is to enhance uh, local features like language preservation, um, cultural uh, interactions and, and repositories of, of, you know, artifacts and different things that they can look up about their own tribes and, you know, learning opportunities that are, that are culturally based versus, you know, K through 12 based. And, um, I think what all of us gained by listening to Danny talk about the point is, oh yeah, 
We have to include community. We have to include our educators. We have to include our storytellers and, and you know, the whole creation of, of our, our community and our, our, you know, just our, our resources space around who we are has to be part of this digital equation. So it, it helped us, I think, like, oh, yeah, not just network, but the things that happen around network uh, came to mind. As we wrap up, Marin, you did several interviews. Uh, were there any any poignant moments that you'd want to you'd want to highlight? Uh, anything that um, uh, surprised you, or you'd just pull out for people to be aware of? Yeah, let me think about that. A little I mean, bit. I know you did at least one brilliant interview because I did a short one. <laughs> <laughs> right, I got to interview you. There were so Lucky many. I mean, honestly, there were there there were a lot of really interesting stories. I think that. Um, you know, I think I was expecting people to come and not really like to come and be like, all right, this is where we're starting. Like we're starting with this boot camp. But there were so many people that had already been connecting people and had already been in the process of like creating their staffs and trying to build things out. So I was actually like used to that being the situation after a couple of days there. And so I got to sit down with someone from the Bear River Band, actually two two people who came to the to the boot camp. And I, I think they actually were a little bit earlier on in the process. And so it was cool to to have them come to the boot camp, hear from other tribes who were further along, like, you know, soak up all this knowledge from the actual instructional parts of the boot camp and just be so excited. Like um, one person in particular was, you know, a little bit nervous about coming to the boot camp. They were like, you know, I, I don't, they kind of had been thrown into this situation and seemed excited about connectivity, but hadn't really, hadn't been too familiar with the process of what, what that all entails. And, you know, hadn't had a lot of um, IT experience in general. And so coming into this space, they were very nervous, but being able to talk to them about how they opened up, how they learned so much more, um, it was really cool to, to hear that story, to hear that perspective um, and and to, to hear that they were excited by listening to other tribes who expressed, you know, we want to have our own network it's important to us that we have our own network and that we're in charge of it. And that kind of like kickstarted inspiration within themselves to, to be really passionate about the process. Um, and that was something that really stuck with me was just the, the, the excitement. Yeah. I think one of the things that I heard, uh, especially from that group, I heard that, Hey, we just learned language that now I can tra- talk to my tribal council and explain this better. Cause I had a tough time articulating what this network meant to the tribe and why it mattered and how we could, um, you know, potentially even uh, sustain it with monetize it or something to be able to create a sustainability model and move forward into the future that I heard from several folks that, Oh, I now know how to go talk to that council member who was questioning what we're doing and why I now have the resources, just, just the language resources to be able to now talk about this in the right light so that they can understand the impact that it will, that it will make in the, in in our community. So that I thought was a really valuable piece because that wasn't a technology piece. That was, that was a, okay, how do I wrap my head around explaining this properly? And then for a group that was more advanced that had already deployed 2.5 gigahertz with uh, a product that they were dissatisfied with, 
I think that what we were expecting from them was that they, or at least I was expecting from them was they were going to look at a different product and go, Oh, cool. This one works. The one we were using doesn't work. You know, we can shift gears and buy this product, but what they gathered from this was so much more. It actually, they almost like rewound their, their build process back to, you know, a previous time where they were now rethinking about like how to deploy they were repeatedly saying, if I'd have known this eight months ago, if I'd have known this 10 months ago, they were rewinding their process now to a point where they could see a reset or a, a shift or a fork in the road where they took one direction when now maybe they understand, okay, moving forward from, from today on, we'll reevaluate situations more thoroughly and then now reach out to this peer group rather than making a decision in haste and getting stuck with a, a pathway that, that maybe, you know, something you have to undo. So I, I, I think that was huge, um, you know, because a lot of people, and I, I feel like going through the trainings coming up to the, um, up to the actual uh, boot camp itself, I feel like we had a little bit of um, disconnect with some of those folks because they were so busy in their day to day. And then when they showed up to the boot camp, it was like, I should have been on every single training that came up to this because now I realize what this was about. I kind of only thought it was going to be showing me how to hook up a 2.5 piece of equipment. Now I realize this is a whole ecosystem of, of opportunity. And I think that was a cool evolution that happened like live in front of our faces. Yeah. I think a part of that is because Matt, uh, you and I are both very strong personalities and I, and I feel like unspoken is that we have a no other a-hole policy um, in that <laughs> like we're going to be the, we'll be the ones that, that, um, that will make sure that uh, people feel um, confident and, and able to ask any questions. I mean, I would come back to, to everyone that's in that room. Everyone felt like they had things to learn and they had things to share. And there is no one in that sort of comic book guy uh, trope who is using his knowledge as a weapon. Uh, and it's almost always his knowledge, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, another real gem that happened was we saw folks that are very technically uh, savvy, but uh, somewhat socially introverted, uh, uncomfortable speaking in front of groups, actually take take charge and and make pretty solid comments in a space where they now felt comfortable. And I think I heard that in multiple levels from administration directors to, um, to techs, to different, you know, different people involved, that this is a space that they felt they could actually talk in. They did not feel like somebody was going to run them over. They didn't feel like their questions were stupid. They didn't feel like they'd be judged when they came out and and had conversation about a, a component that they didn't understand. They felt like this was a safe space. And that, I think that's really important that you and I are just the, the jerks in the bunch and, and everybody else gets to feel comfortable with each other. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe we'll find out if we do this at a more comfortable temperature that part of it was uh, was the heat and that people's guards were worn down. <laughs> this could be. And they were probably in defense mode trying to keep enough water in their system. They forgot they could be comfortable in a space. So, yeah, it was it was fun. It was a was a great experience. And I think it's a great story too, because I mean, how, how many people are now out there, you know, there's 20 people out there telling the story of this boot camp, and oh my God, it was 103 degrees and we were cooking, but we were in this zombie bunker in a desert <laughs> and we were setting up wireless and it was apocalyptic and it was cool and, and they catered it. It was crazy. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I can't, I can't thank, uh, you know, ISOC enough for being able to support things that are cool. And I think, 
I think the words that were said uh, coming out of Mark Beal's mouth was, you know, I, I like to support cool things. I like to support things that are that are making a difference. And that's right. I mean, that's, that's what we want to do. We want to make a difference and we want to make it fun. Yeah. So we're going to see if we can do this again. Um, you know, we'll be looking to improve upon it, I think, to get a, a few more people uh, there. And we have some ideas. Um, but one thing I'll say is that um, much like um, you said at the beginning, Matt, no one's coming to just have a, a good time. Everyone's coming there to work. Um, everyone has a purpose. Uh, this is not uh, a vacation. And um, and we'll have a, a high bar um, based on the, the seriousness with which everyone took it in the, in the first round. Yeah, I, I think um, no slackers rule, right? And, and it's impressive that I assumed there would be uh, people that disappeared on us and people that kind of faded into the woodwork because they, they felt they weren't engaged because you know, it was a tough environment, you know, weather, weather alone was a tough environment, man, everybody was engaged 100%, like the whole time. And, and I think that really um, shows us that there is this real need for this space. Uh, there's a real desire to have access to this kind of training, this kind of hands on this kind of interaction with others. And uh, who knows, maybe it was a better success since most of us hadn't seen people for a year and a half. But <laughs> that was um, definitely brought up a few times. <laughs> But yeah, but uh, you know, I I know I I was worn down uh, day two even realizing oh yeah this it's it is a lot of work managing live conversations with multiple people and I had forgotten how much engagement was involved with twenty people in a room, but I think it uh, was a good jump start into you know coming out of this and and uh, you know building this community. Excellent. Thank you both, Matt, for hosting us, um, Marin, for, um, for for taking part in it and then soldiering through when you realized just how hard it was going to be, and Internet Society for making this thing happen. I mean, um, Internet Society has been doing good work with indigenous connectivity for years, um, a space that has had very few organizations helping out with it, and uh, it's just been amazing to have them as a partner. We could not have done it. Um, not just It's not just a matter of writing checks. Like they're organizers the people that were a part of it really uh, made it happen and they um, are the ones that introduced a lot of us to each other so um, just tremendous thanks to them uh, with that um, you know we'll leave you we're going to be doing a, a, a video about this Marin's working on that we're going to be doing some instructional videos for other folks to learn from uh, some of the material and uh, we're doing some posts we have some photos so there's going to be other content exploring um, how we did this and and I would say that we're definitely open to sharing the recipe with other folks that want to want to figure out how to build on it absolutely uh, thanks for having me again it's always a pleasure and looking forward to the next round thanks Chris that was Christopher talking with Matt Rencanon and Marin Macklis. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle's at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle's at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was episode 466 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening.